0: You're listening to You're Force, listening Force Fed Digital. Digital. BXU right, The microphone is on. What's good? This is your boy Kingsbridge Rich. You are now rocking with the My Bronx Story podcast. This is your boy Esco. Esco for the raspiness. You hear that raspy voice right there? Yeah, this is. It's terrible to deal with if you're talking for an hour. But you guys won't have no problem. It's me. I got to deal with that. But yeah, what's making it worse is compounded by the fact that we have copious amounts of weed and alcohol here. So um, we're enjoying ourselves and recording another episode for you guys. And thank you for the feedback, guys. It's been awesome. You guys have been connecting on all the socials. Um, I got a link tree right now, so you can catch up with us on all of the socials. So you can catch us on TikTok, on IG. You can catch Kingsbridge Rich, myself, on IG, and you can catch my Bronx stories. So a lot of things that we're covering on the podcast, you can catch the visuals and stuff. And TikTok, you know, it's uh, it's the platform that I've uh, taken off with more. So uh, I've met a lot of people but not the typical people who've been on like, you know, families on Facebook and stuff. IG may be people that you've grown up with or whatever. TikTok has been a lot of new people, so the journey's been dope. So shout outs to all my TikTok family. And um, cheers to that. Dottie walked off. I don't know where she's at, so I'm not holding cheers. this back. We don't punish the punctual, no. as we say in church, right? So cheers to that. And mm, that was a shot of a chocolate, bur- chocolate peanut, bu- bourbon? Peanut butter chocolate. Peanut butter Chocolate bourbon. It would definitely pair with a tres leche, but I doubt that y'all guys are going to step off to um to pick anything up. So I'm going to just keep recording, like if I didn't just imagine some tres leche or some flan or something like that. Yeah. But, guys, listen, man. I've been taking the email addresses uh, for those who are subscribing because we now not only have the link tree, so you can catch us on all the socials much easier, Um, but with email, you'll be able to catch any behind-the-scenes action that takes place um you will definitely be able to connect with us on any kind of things that we're trying to make a little more personal you know we have the 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 crews of people the masses that we kind of speak to and i share these stories with on all the socials but something more behind the scenes and exclusive if you provide your email address i'll put you on that list and i keep you in the loop and you know when we got merch dropping you know when we got some collaborations man i do plan to bring to this um podcast some interviews as well it's not just going to be me talking about uh, these stories that i've uh, observed in the bronx and my perspective and stuff but i'm also going to share quite a deal a, a good deal about um Things with people who have had certain ser- stories as well. How I choose to highlight people, you know, I definitely keep you on the loop, but send your email and you'll know. Um, I do want to highlight some folks that I connect with that have particular stories that are or- that originated in the Bronx as well. So that'll be dope, guys. And about that, um, so make sure you just please go to the link tree as the simplest approach to connecting to all the connections that you could on my socials. And that'll be dope. So um, today, guys, we're going to be talking about Kingsbridge Rich's my Bronx origin story. So when my story started in the Bronx, actually began in Brooklyn because we originally lived in Brooklyn. And so when you look back at those times, this is the 80s, right? The pivotal moment in our life that took us from Brooklyn to the Bronx was the arrest of my parents. Both my parents were involved in drugs, but my father was the one that was involved with the hustling. And my father pretty much had had quite a run. But things started getting sloppy because, of course, you have crack coming in. This is like the early 80s. Like, people were freebasing and stuff. But, you know, my father had some cousins that was into the game. And so, you know, he's uptown in, um, in Manhattan with his cousins. They got connects. My father dealt with Colombians and stuff like that. And there's a lot of stories around that that I've heard from my mother. So what I did remember, I think, one of the earliest memories I have was when the police came to the house, which I, was, I share in vivid details because it's it's um, traumatic, of course, having to see your parents, you know, locked up and, you know, the busting down of the door and being a kid having to memorize that. But I do have certain memories from those times, but that one is so large that I kind of feel like it's one of my earliest ones. And it might be because it was so significant. So... um. But I had this in my family, which is why I, I talk so much about hustling and I got my whole stance on like, you know, when it's like free the homie. I give love to my boys that have been locked up for a while. You know, you, you come home to something, you know, I I bless you with something for sure because I give love to my peoples or whatever. But, you know, you also, you you know, you got to be accountable for what you do, you know, and, and there's a difference between, you know, doing a crime and and trying to, you know, live for that type of hype. So, um so, you know. My father got involved and got in the mix with like his cousins. And in the 80s, you know, he he got hooked up with a connect and he was making a good amount of money. So at that point, my father was trying to legitimize some of the money. He had a taxi company, which ultimately didn't work out because he got in the mix with some mafia as well. And something they did kind of double crossed him. I hear a story from my uncle, my uncle Ralph. He used to say the story that like they wanted to retaliate. Right, so they did two things. They were gonna do it on their own, and then they actually got lawyered up. So the lawyer was the first thing that they did. And um, when they spoke with the lawyer, they told the lawyer what was going on. And my father had bought a a plaque. And so the way that works is like, I don't know what the going rate was back then, but I know he had like a a walkie-talkie. He had the whole thing set up to do business. He may have had two cars, I don't remember at the moment. Um, But I know for sure he had a car and the the mafia, whoever he was dealing with was mafia, and they managed to kind of get it from my father. And my father was like, you know what, he went with my uncle Ralph, you remember Ralph. He went with my uncle Ralph in Brooklyn, yeah. (laughs) He went with Ralph to Brooklyn. Um, No, he went to Staten Island. And when they were pulling up to the house, they saw stones with lions, and the whole front was real fancy. And they was like, yo, we gotta get out of here, like, this is not cool. But for a time, my father lived, Yo, know, my father, he was involved to a degree that, like, he would have to look under his car to, um, to see if there was, like, something under his car. You know, so I don't remember, like, I remember that being the stories of my father, but those were a little early on. Like, I was very young. And for me, you have to imagine, like, this is, this is the lens of a, of a kid in his five years old, six years old. I remember traveling a lot. You know we went to the dominican republic we went to jamaica uh, we did a lot of road trips um and we do have a lot of pictures so you know for those of you who for actually for those of you who know me well you know that this is not new to me like i've been doing this a long time with putting footage that's old um putting pictures having tons of pictures at different periods of my life uh, before people had cell phones that kind of did the job because you know we had different items at that time it was like you had a dedicated cell phone I mean, or, you know, not even a cell phone, but phones did their job of just being a phone. Your cameras are just cameras. You remember partying, going into the club with that little slim Sony camera, little yeah. digital cameras with the megapixels, and yeah. every time there was a new one, it was a higher megapixel. Yeah. Like you know, everything had this dedicated yeah, job. Bluetooth, Word, Bluetooth, you had to get the little memory. When it's done, you're like, you know what? This picture's better than that one. You was actually able to review deleted. pictures. You know, delete it. Be like, nah, I don't like that one. Oh, put. Oh, you forgot the flash. Uh, you know. The typical things but you know so you didn't have any of that so you know what you witnessed was different and we tell these stories and you know we kind of share like you know this is what it was like but in my perspective I'm a five-year-old kid you know watching a parent that I love you know the parent that hold it down right a parent that took us out you know he had tons of pictures he was always just like celebrating something so this was my experience with my father so and and so There's like kind of like an arriving to that point because, like, I think, and this is not to be sensitive toward people who sell drugs. Like, I made a TikTok video, I stitched a video on TikTok about this because this dude was kind of like real amp in his voice talking about drug dealers. And to be honest with you, like, I do understand that some people get into hustling because they want to portray an image, they do it for clout, or they do it, you know, because they they do want to get fancy with it. They're not doing it out of a necessity per se. Like, like, I'm hustling because I need to. I got to feed my daughter. Like, a lot of people is not in that position. A lot of people really want to get fresh, and that's why they hustle. And and all the people around me, I can say, like, that was really them. Some of my peoples that I knew, they had both parents. You know what I mean? Others of my friends, they had, you know, parents that would ride out with them or whatever. But for whatever reason, you know, you wanted to get fresh. I, that, that was my thing. My thing is, like, you know, I just wanted extra. Then, you know, I always, when I hustled, I worked at the same time when I did my thing. But with my father, he's an immigrant coming to this country, right? And this is not to say, you know, you got to be accountable for yours. And this is, you know, I'm not trying to glorify my dad either. What he did was against the law. It was a crime. But this is his story, you know, and this is where it kind of leads to me getting into the Bronx. Because the pivotal moment in our life is when he got locked up and my mom got locked up. And we had to bounce house to house. But my father initially worked with fixing typewriters, and so he's an immigrant. We have a relative that has like a typewriter shop. He fixes, he fixes it. He's like 30, He's like 30, 20 something. I don't know how old he is. But, you know, this is initially, you know, he meets, he meets my mother around that time. My mother being a lot younger than him. But, you know, my mom was very pretty. She sang. A lot of people knew who she was or whatever. They knew her for being really pretty and cute and stuff. So, you know, but my father was also very charismatic and handsome. In fact, my uncle, because he knew that his little sister was dating somebody, he told me the story that he wanted to go look for my dad. Like he knew about him, He said, oh somebody's dating my sister, so he was looking for the dude. Cause you know they were all from the same area, up uh, uptown Manhattan, right Riverside Drive area. So my grandfather was a doorman, but you know this is also when my father started getting shaken with his uncle, with, with my cousins, with my, his cousins and stuff, my my other cousins, and you know there was there was a. You know, they started moving work or whatever. But my father pretty much was charismatic. And my uncle found him. And my uncle was like, yo, I got to talk to you. And he's like, you're, Dina, you're, you're Dina's brother, right? Yo, come with me. Takes him up inside of a, um, like a, a bar or someplace. Offers him some drinks. Starts talking to him. By the end of the night, it was like they were best friends. And this is, my uncle Kike told me, he put me on. He was like, yo, I wanted to be mad at your dad, but I couldn't. I had to love him. Had to love your dad. So my father was that type. And so there was a very good looking like, yo, follow my Instagram so you can see because I post these pictures up and stuff. So, you know, if you're hearing this, by the time that you hear this, you're going to see the picture. I'm going to put a picture of my fly ass mom and my fly ass dad because there was definitely a fly couple. But they lived that Bonnie and Clyde life, too, because my mom right? We was talking about that earlier, man. My mom on a trip to Jamaica, she said the weed was so good she had to have it. And she took a bunch of baggies, put it around a red bandana, tied the bandana, and she got in the airplane like that because she just had to have it. And so, like, you know, like, they were, they were that couple with each other, you know? And, and so, you know, and but they were also a toxic couple. But see, like, where it got pivotal with me because, you know, I, my last episode, I talked a little bit about the trauma having to do with my mother when she was a single mother. But up until this point, I have the presence of my dad. So there's a safety net that I'm oblivious to. I don't know exist until my father gets arrested because with all this and my father getting involved and him losing a business and him buying all this property in the Dominican Republic, right? Things started getting sloppy. Crack is here. Yo, there was a time that the school bus driver, right? This is this is really like around the time of the arrest, like everything got sloppy and crazy because Crack is out now. Before Crack, people freebased. Yeah. They took... Coke in powder form, and they lit it. And you know, you could take like the bottom of like the like a Budweiser can, a, a, you know, where where uh-huh. it kind of like is concave, and you break it off. Like the tin foil, you wrap it. I sound like a fiend saying all I was this, say right? That sounds but but nah, nah. So anyway, there's a process, and you free. That's what people was doing. They was like inhaling the the fumes, which is pretty much crack. Yeah, but when you cook, boy. when you cook crack, when you cook crack, you pretty much add a bicarbonate to it, which is the baking soda right turns to a cookie chop it down la la la. it becomes a smokable form right just turning it from powder form to rock you've already now increased your jail time because that's the way the laws are written but this is initially for my father's story at least this is initial like my father already had run-ins with Colombians where my mom got scared about um about something and she flushed work down the toilet right there was, there was a situation when I was a couple of months old or a month old that they broke into the house, they robbed it, they put a gun to my head and stuff like that. All being involved in the game. And so like, you know, this is, this is pretty much like people want to look fly with it, you know, and, and, and try to look cute. And my father was, he was pretty, you know, he had the sheep skin, the Adidas, the Pumas, you know, the Kangol hat, like, you know, he did what they did in the eighties. He was, you, you guys could see poppy Shampoo on the IG. That's all I gotta say. He was a smooth chocolate brother. A smooth chocolate Dominican brother with an afro. But, you know, he danced his ass off. You know, he he was like, you know, when he walked into the room, people lit up and, and he just had it going. He was real generous with his pockets and all that. But the moment for us when now this is now colliding into where things got so sloppy and the Bronx origin story, you know, begins. There's one night where I'm this is so I know that it's about 730 at night because I remember what was on TV was Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock, the cartoon, it came up. It wasn't a cartoon, but it was like a Muppet type of show. It was on HBO back in the days. And so Fraggle Rock is on. We're excused to the bedroom. My brother and I go to our bunk beds. Our room is way down the apartment, right? So you have the front door. You have the living room. Everything is off to the side, but there's a long line. And all the way to the end is our our bedroom. And I remember because if if you peep through the door, you can look all the way to the front. So you hear a commotion, right? Now this commotion's happening, boom. But I'm a kid, and my mind is not pretty creative. I'm playing with my brother in the room. We have a closet full of toys. The TV's on, Fraggle Rock's on, right? So we hear this commotion, and I peek through the door. And when I peek through, I see my brothers there. So my brother—I mean, not my brother—the the police are there, right? I can't see from that view that my parents are on the floor, but I see this police. But now they're coming like the direction of our. um, my parents were in the living room so they got thrown to the floor I can't see from my angle I'm just seeing straight down the hallway I can't see them but I see these police at this point that they're now they're checking rooms or whatever but they're coming my way I run into the closet and I close the door as much as I could but it's still open just enough so I can peek out so I see them come in and my brother is sitting Indian style legs crossed, looking at the TV, calm as hell, he didn't see what I saw, he wasn't reacting, he was just, and he's younger than me, a year younger than, a year and a half. But he's just there, I'm six years old, so he's four, just chilling on the bed, police come, right? And they circle my brother and they ask them something and I see him point, he snitched on me pretty much, but I see him point at the closet and I'm trying to hide myself with toys because I see the police. And this is not me as a kid thinking like what my parents are involved And I had no sense of that. I didn't know what drugs were. You You know, there was always a party in my house and a bunch of people. But I I, I was oblivious to this point. Right. But now the police come, you know, they got my parents on the floor and they're escorting my brother and I out the room because now the police go to the closet that I'm in. Then my brother, you know, so humbly snitched me out. You know, he pointed me out pretty much. I could have been good. And, you know, like, it's crazy because typically in a situation like that, you know, you have like child protective agencies come and they're supposed to like remove you from the house there's certain processing things that happen in this case they kind of shoot us past my parents i saw them on the floor when we walk down the hallway they're both on the floor looking up with with, with people on their back and, and the cuffs and all of that right and and we as little kids are escorted barefoot the neighbor opens the door they're having a slight conversation and my brother and i end up in their apartment they just yeah there, there was nothing occurred I, I know the story now not as a kid i i just remember going out our apartment and swinging a left and going to the next door neighbor's apartment which i think he did stuff with my with my um parents as well anyway but you know for some reason we were in process we didn't go through the system or nothing like that um we went house to house like you know and and so we initially went to um washington heights audubon 187 my cousin jose was living there with my with my my aunt right so now we're in Washington Heights for a couple of weeks, not knowing Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. 187 Autobahn. But like, we're here because I have two parents that are locked up. Me and my brother don't speak Spanish like that because our parents decided to name us Spanish ass names, but to not talk to us in Spanish, unless it's a reprimand. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yo, to this day, I'm haunted. Like, you know, I, I only, I, I, I learned Spanish in marriage. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. But but I, I danced my ass off to make up for it. But nonetheless, that's neither here nor there. Like, so I'm here staying over at my aunt's house with my cousin. He t- he talks English though, so that's cool. And he's cool as hell. Like, yo, he used to this. I said it in the other episode, but like, yo, he used to take Nintendo games and take out the case of it and switch it with like a wacker game and then return it to the. You know when you rent the videos and stuff. He used to do that before anybody knew to do that. And he used to make mad money. And then he would sell the, Then we used to go to the flea market, 181st Street in, uh, in the Heights, right by the bridge. We used to go to that flea market, and he used to sell the games there. And it, whatever was on the cover wasn't really the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, that was his thing. And he always had, like, little remote control things he that he took to apart. Tech too. be, yeah, he was real techie. He had BB guns, and we used to shoot at Hustlers and stuff. Like, we used to be out, like, in Jeeps driving by. We used to shoot. He had a scope on it and all that. Like, it was crazy. But that was my, shout outs to Jose, uh, my cousin Jose, bigger. He used to steal my Voltron because, like, I was a spoiled little kid since my father was hustling. So, like, to shop for, like, the completeness of their sets, they'll come to my house and steal a couple toys so that they can have the whole Voltron. He admitted that as an adult, but I forgive him. It's all good. But, like, you know, that was the time my father was on. He was a very giving person. My parents get locked up. We go first to Jose's house. My mom comes out sooner. At this point, my mom comes out of jail. And we're now in the Bronx because my father, my grandfather had two multifamily houses, 165th and Nelson Avenue, which I believe my father helped him financially get those houses. Whatever the story is, we end up there. We're on the second floor, backyard, like three bedrooms or whatever. And my mom is trying to get work. And she's lying that she doesn't have a record. And they're finding out 30 days later, like she had got a job with Hertz, rent a car. And I remember her coming home proud, like she had her shirt. Because remember, she was young too when she got locked up. So my mom didn't, she had dropped out of school. She ain't have nothing under her belt now. She got two boys in the Bronx coming from Brooklyn. Well, my father had it. Like my father had it. Then there's beef between family. Family talking about the houses and like there were six houses in DR that was supposed to go to my my brothers and my my brother, my sisters, and and each of his baby mothers. That's the way it was supposed to be. Six houses. It was my aunt. It was my um my father's father's first wife. My mom. My two older sisters. My brother and I. That's the way it was supposed to be broken down. But my father got sick or whatever. But so you know we're here in the Bronx. This is Bronx now. Crack epidemic is up there. Like, I just told you about the bus driver smoking crack with kids on it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm there, like, yo, they dismissed us. This, yo, this is like, that's why I say it's like when it had to be when it got sloppy. It got sloppy and, you know, my pops got locked up, whatever. We're in the Bronx. But before that, we end up under the Coney Island, like one of these bridges in Coney Island or whatever. We're on the side of Coney Island. That's We lived in Flatbush on Ocean Avenue. The bus driver ended up smoking crack. And this is like 85, 86. Smoking crack. And driving us to Coney Island area so he can just smoke crack. I don't remember that happening. I just remember that the guy got fired because of that. Like he, I remember just it being late and turning dark, and I'm still not home. Cause yeah, cause all of us kids, yeah, yeah, it got big. That was that was a problem. But you know, you imagine there's no cell phones to check in. Yeah, and you imagine my father, what kind of thoughts must have been going through his head while he was living? My father hat runners with the with the. um my father my father dealt with people like my father wasn't a person that was like moving bricks, or whatever, but he made bread and um in fact, like I have a cousin d j chino shout outs to d j chino um we we connected after many years like we we went to house parties together as kids, but when we were very young because at the point where like there was there was two instances and there was one that like I found footage, you know, like I'm like I'd be finding like those holy grails of videos, and many times like I've had that. That thing where like even when people pass away in the hood, like people always knew that I was always recording, filming something, that when somebody passes away, it was always a thing that people would reach out to me, yo, you got footage with so-and-so person? Or when somebody passes away, I take to my socials and I put a clip that people ain't even know I had. And I've been doing that for years, way before this TikTok stuff or whatever. Way, way obviously I just started the podcast. But way back in the days I always pay respect, whatever, to people like that. But um, so you know, my father's here like, you know, he's locked up. My mom got to hold it down. We, we was bouncing house to house until now we get situated in the Bronx, but the Bronx is ugly. You know what I mean? My mom now got a record as she's young. She don't got education under her belt. She don't got work experience because my father was, you know, getting at that bag or whatever. Right. But like even like the cousin I was just talking about with his family, the dude went. So he's my age and I gave him some video that showed a party that we both were at it was it was his birthday party of his younger brother's birthday party it was one of those videotapes that I I converted over to, to DVD or whatever right so I see his family I see you know other people that I know and then I also have a recording of when his father passed away it was a clip from the news because that night right so that night my father um my father's home recording like the news And I remember a phone call. I remember late at night. And I remember as a kid, my mom kind of going like semi hysterical, like, oh, my God, Henry died, Henry died. And then grabbing the VCR and going to record it. Right. And then I so I stumbled upon this old video and it had that clip. And I remember growing up seeing that clip. I always remember that's when Henry died. Henry is the father to my friend Chino. So one day in the Bronx, they had this guy that had an airplane. So, they, you know, they dealt with their Colombians. They had people that had airplanes and all of that. So the dude was hype, right? So as far as I remembered, my mom was always saying like, fucking Colombians, fucking Colombians, like that. Because something about, there was a debt one time my father had with them. And for some reason, I always remember when she told the airplane story, she talked about the Colombians, whatever. And I know that there was little issues or whatever that they've had. But this is what I know. Chris doesn't know this side of I mean, Chris, my cousin Chris, he don't know this side of it. And this sides that he don't know. Like, so we kind of like, we meet up and we're talking. I share with this video with him. And he tells me, right? Because that night, unfortunately, his father passed away. They were really high. They were like, yo, let's get the airplane out and let's ride it. They drove it and it went down, I think, in Long Island. I got the clip and I'll probably put it up. But it went down in Long Island over a few houses. Burned and everybody in the, in the airplane died. They perished. They took off from the Bronx with that airplane, right? So I didn't know this, but I link up with my cousin, I show him this video, like, yo, this is like your fifth birthday or something. This is your party. I got this video since the 80s, bro, like, like, oh, what's so, up? so we like, you know, catching up or whatever. He tells me, yo, you know, that night, my father came in the house high and my mom was like, no, you're not taking him. I was on the couch sleeping and my father kept on insisting to take me. And take me on the airplane. Like, wake Chris up so I could take him on an airplane ride. Take him on an airplane ride. And his mother gave him so much shit for t- for for waking him up. No, it's late. La la la. You high. La la. Sent them off. He was like, whatever. He abandoned. The, you know the the situation. He bounced until this day. You imagine if anything would have been otherwise. So that's what time that there was on. My father and him. they was linked up. They you know they 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 made their money together in, in the 80s or whatever. But, you know, my father, typical, he was a pretty boy dude, he was a very charismatic dude. He had all the nicest things, like we had a nice stereo set growing up, he was always switching out cars, we did, yeah, he did TikTok before TikTok, y'all guys got to get on that IG. I'm going to repost that one for y'all before y'all get to, before this is done, you guys are going to see that. So, you guys definitely going to, um, you know, check the vibe out. But you imagine like, you know, this is my mom in a tight spot, she got two boys. In the 80s, top of the crack, you know, like a climax of the crack epidemic, and we in the Bronx. The Bronx that we moved into had dogs that were burnt on fire, the stench of dead dogs and rubble. The Bronx that we moved into had crackheads named E.T. that was blowing up payphones for quarters, That was stealing, that was stealing car radios from your car. You know what I mean? That was taking the mirrors on the side so that they could sell them somewhere, a cab station, whatever, depending on what car it was. We had a chop shop. Yo, we moved into a block that had a chop shop, let alone the drugs and the drug dealers. And so my mom's, my father gets into jail. And what was my mother doing? My mother was tying in balloons of Coke and stuffing Coke and waking us up in the morning and in the, in the dark that you're out. You know, when the light goes on and, and the shine from the light is so bright that, like, your eyes can't physically open. Waking up in that, walking past in the morning, triple beam scales and balloons and Ziploc bags in the open, knowing that, oh, we're about to see my father, because my mom got down like that. And they wasn't even together, to, to be honest. They had a real toxic relationship or whatever. But it took them getting arrested to split up. But my mom still brought him in work, you know, to do what he had to do. And then on the outside, my mom was dating us other hustlers. At least for that, for me, the benefit was that I was a husky kid, so I dressed up with real fly. Like I used to wear like, yo, shout outs to stepfathers, and they wasn't claiming the title, I, and I didn't call them that either, but for, for the most part, I got the dress really fresh, because there was some triple fat gooses that was in the closet for an extent, extended amount of time. There was some St. Lázaro rings. Two finger rings, chains. I, I wore rope chains. I wore medallions. I wore bracelets. I wore rings. I wore leathers. This is all because of hustlers. My mom was fucking with. <laughs> but I was that kid, like you know those, you you know that shorty that looked good. That all the hustlers, you know. My mom got into fights on the streets too with women because of that. Like yo, there was jealousy. My mom was my mom was a catch. My mom was pretty. My pop's body to do because of my mom, because my and my mom was spiteful too. According to my mom, like, yeah, I slept with, She slept with one of my mom, my father's workers, and then that guy disappeared. And my mom oh, was home, so what's oh, he's not coming back. Never came back. So like, there was that Bonnie, that, there was that Bonnie and Clyde couple involved with things, but still hold each other down. Like my mom, that was like her ticket out. You know what I mean? Like like that's it. If it wasn't working, I guess you know that was uh that was their cue to just say like you know let's let's get. But my mom was still tying the balloons up, going up. We had conjugal visits, tra- trailer visits right and yo I remember those days my mom was just boom scaling it up scaling it up ballooning it up stuffing it up and going and then sitting like with your hands positioned in a certain way I'm gonna put the pictures I got I got my father's certificate still from jail from the 80s I got like all his certificates of completion of courses that he took I still got it there I got birth certificates from the 80s I got all that stuff that my father had. You know what I mean? I got little drawings that they gave him in jail. My father used to send back letters with stickers that we could use that was made. Like, you know, like the inmates always have yeah. these little things they finesse with like crayons and stuff. Oh, I used to have all of that, yo. I visited my father all the time, but every time I remember it was early in the morning, we used to take the bus by one sixty-one and, and it'll take you up uh, upstate. And my father was in Fishkill. So we be out there, you know. You got the microwaves on the visits. You get the microwaves and you get that microwavable cheeseburger. So that was my joint. In the in the little like, you get to pay for it in the ATM that spin. I mean, not the ATM, that vending machine that spin. You know, the 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 bag of your your cheeseburger drop. You go, you go to that general microwave. That's how it was to visit your father. You gotta keep your hands in view. So you know, but us as kids, it was like, oh, you know, we took it regular. Like it was so traumatic, but like. I guess we went through so much that is traumatic when you look back, especially, but it was our normal. You know, you just like, oh shoot, like my parents are in a pinch. This is what it's like, but that's how life was in the Bronx. And so originally we started in Brooklyn. I'm sure my father didn't think, cause yo, the Bronx wasn't a place, the Bronx is a place to have fun. The Bronx was a place that's rich in culture. And like, when you squeeze us down to our very core, you get like the best of us is hip hop. I always say that like, it's because of our problems. That hip hop is here. Our expressions, our art, our our talents, our you know, our clothing, all that stuff, right? All the stuff that's really a hit in fashion, be that grungy, futuristic, homeless look or whatever. Like when you think about it, it's always something that you can imagine came out of, was born out of poverty. That's what hits. That's really what hits. The Bronx is good for that. The Bronx is good for a place to catch up and go dance and, and live on the wild side. But to go from Brooklyn, that's not a come-up. Because my father was living amongst Jews. He had me in a private school, right? He had me in a school that I know they had a commercial for on TV. And so I, I, I lived in one of, you know, in that area. I don't remember the building number none like that. And like, remember, this is me talking about young, young boy rich, like five, six years old, seven years old. And um, so we came up in that area. And then my mom now like got to get to the Bronx. And the Bronx was crazy gritty. It was super gritty. Like we was like there was buildings that were still demolished. There was buildings that still had pictures and lipsticks and and like personal items of the people who once lived in these buildings that were, you know, standing up, but now they're like, you know, bricks and rubble. And we were playing amongst rubble, taking doors to make bicycle ramps out of, taking old tires. On that block, there was a chop shop. There was a homeless guy that slept inside of an old 50s style taxi cab. It was dusty and cobwebbed up. And we used to climb over that roof and there was a guy named Hippie that owned the chop shop. Young, smooth looking Puerto Rican kid with the tail in his hair. He looked like older, but when you look back now at how young he really was, he was super young. But we were young, we were kids. And maybe he had enough, um, I guess, mustache on his on his face to, to to constitute as an adult, to us at least. And it was like raw. It was like, you know, the, the things that, like as a kid, when you had such a bad area where people were like hustling hard and making that much money, like you if something happened to your kid, you couldn't really speak up. You know what I mean? Like it was that blatant. In fact, like in that situation, like I have a friend named BB that on that block, we were playing on the roof of that chop shop. And hippie came, he had grabbed him, threw him in between the the chop shop and the little like garage that's next to it. This is like an A-frame, you know, triangular top thing. So we are all playing and climbing up there. Pops, old black guy that sleeps inside of the old taxi cab inside, here and there, that's always drunk. Like, you know, he might be there, he might not be that night. That day, I don't know if it was. BB being the older of us, by like a year and a half, two years, right, is caught last. So we're all trying to get off the roof. This guy, hippie, grabs him by the shirt, throws him in between the barbed wire, and the barbed wire split. To me, it looked like his whole kneecap came off, flesh, pink flesh. The barbed wire serrated his, just straight through, clean. And he was holding like a flap of meat. I didn't see him for the rest of the summer. Then the next time I saw him, I saw him with shorts, a big marking, like a whole big oval coming from the top of his thigh, all the way down to his shin, outlining where the marks of his stitches was. And him riding a green scooter with white tires and white brake lines down the block. I saw him, but this is the Bronx that we go into. And my mom now is also getting dubbed by jobs, and she got two boys and although she's living in my grandfather's house, she still has to contribute, and she has to do and then you know I talk about the you know I talked about you know just almost killing a person to to what I thought you know i was I thought I was killing somebody whatever so you know that's that's the reality that I came out of, and so you have a very paranoid paranoid under pressure, complicate that with the fact that there's drugs in the mix. This is 80s cocaine. She's young, you know, we we don't got many people that's really, you know, coming in to help. But what I do know is that my my mom's pride, like, yo, you gotta think sometimes when you go through certain things, like, I'm gonna be grateful for the life I got because even one little change could make things all the different. But I had tons of family that wanted us to live like in California with them in different places. Because like, you know, they saw what time it was. But my mom, for some reason, she wasn't like, I'm not giving my boys up. And because of that, like, you know, whatever her motive and her reason was, I don't even know to this day what it is. And that would be a good question to ask her. But for the meanwhile, like, all I know is that, like, it could be pride, but she was like, yo, my boys are going to be with me. And we had to become men fast. Like, you know, it 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 was hot and heavy at home. And so there was a survival outside. But now you have to imagine this. Up until that point... Right, I had a male figure in my house that was that dude. But now the truth behind who my mom is, unrestricted, is now our reality. So now the trauma that I have from this point on, my father is locked up, but my mom is putting the pounding on me. My mom and her her coke binges. My mom and being in the after hours and all the neglect that came through it. My mom with her pr- promiscuity being loud, where like I can't distinguish between it being a painful beating that I've witnessed her have, from other partners, or if this is all sexual. Like, so under those conditions, I'm in the Bronx as a kid. So this is my perception as a kid of what 85 looked like, what 86 looked like, what those visits look like. Or well, my mom's sitting across the table or her hands visible for the CEOs, CEOs, but, you know, kissing my father across the table, stepping out to use the bathroom and then coming back, the transfer. Like, there's just things you can't get away with now. But now we grew up with that being so blatant. It was just it was normal it was the thing so like my mom didn't hide it we had you know there, i can tell you days that i would walk by my railroad apartment style hallway past the triple beam scale that still had residue on it did you and think done? to myself let me let me put my finger and and just kind of taste it and i've i've never did that but i remember coming close enough to know what cocaine smelled like and i'm talking seven years old six years old you know six seven eight years old like like back in those times my father did five years so this is now this is again this is the bronx so in part i escaped the household because it's tough to be at home in those four walls with this woman under that much pressure entertaining that much drugs so i'm that dirty kid that's posted up outside earlier than everybody that leaves after everybody that the rules at the house is a little loose like i didn't break rules to get my poundings I didn't get punished because I was breaking rules. I was getting pounded because at home, there were times where like, you know, I need this, I need that. There was a demand. And if I'm confused, if I don't understand, if I don't move soon enough, if I do it wrong, in that frustration, that coke, whatever rage, whatever it is, I got to now bear the brunt of where your energy is at. Right. It it was not that I was a kid that was acting up and doing things, but soon after, enough times you start getting beat, you get desensitized. You don't really care. Yo, there's times me sitting on the on the on the edge of a car, and there's a there's a shootout on the block, and a dude skating up the block like that. Your shorty Holt is putting a gun up my back, and I'm just sitting there. Like I was a quiet kid, but at some point, like I like I think the bad that I got into wasn't that I was like just being bad. Sometimes I did things for attention, whatever. But a lot of that bat was like, I wasn't even thinking of consequences at this point. I was just so numb to life. Like, yo, dad was locked up. I saw that happen. Three th- three years later, he passed away. So I had like this extended time. And so I would say, I believe my memories of these times. Like I talked to you about summer lunch programs. I talked to you about these stories about the Goya cans and taking the label off and taking the rollos her- her- out of your aunt's, you know, stash so you can make bean shooters and which. Beans were the right ones to make the bean shooter with electrical tape and, you know, cutting the right exact spot of the balloon so you can wrap it up. You know, the, the, per, the perfect size bean shooter, you know, the perfect can for getting wet in the hydrant. You understand the, the wrench that we used at that time, all the things that, are, that, are, that go along with the experience of being in the Bronx. And so mine, I think, becomes so vivid because these were times of survival. My eyes were open and open wide. And what I saw was what I thirsted for. What I saw was what I can escape to. And everything I saw had appeal. Everything was vivid. The good, the bad, everything. Because at home, it was unpredictable. Because at home, we weren't reinforced with anything. And the neglect at home, like, I came home with schoolwork. I wasn't checked on what to do. What, you know, I I didn't pick up discipline. You know, it was tough for me. So... You know this is the environment that i got into and at any of these points even through the abuse and the neglect the physical neglect i was never in a position to even consider telling my father and so my father does his entire bed he comes home in five he comes home as a sick man i'm in the bronx witnessing the bronx being the bronx at these times i'm talking the 80s i'm i'm in 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 summer programs sponsored by the church the, the the programs that are cheap to do, the free school lunches, the summer youth, um not the summer youth, I'm talking the Fresh Air Fund, summer camps, all the things that are for the affordable families that still be a little hood or whatever. I'm participating in any in all those things. I'm not, you know, the, the, the money at the house is not on par with putting me in a little league or any type of recreation where I got to buy a uniform. Hell, at one point I was in the Boy Scouts. And I couldn't afford the clothing. And, I, and we was behind on the 25-cent dues. And I had to embarrassingly go and often tell them, like, no, nah, I don't got it. I don't got it. And I had to deal with that. So, so many things and so many experiences coming at this time. It was like, dad's not home. All these things just led to a numbing. And I was numb. So, like, I was numb to certain things. But when there was something for me, it was vibrant. That opportunity to hop the turnstiles and that rush that you got, you know, getting your tickets to Yankee Stadium for Bat Day, for Glove Day, and walking from Highbridge all the way down on 165th and Nelson up the hills, Anderson up the hills, Ogden up the hills, you know what I mean? Woody Crest and all that, right? Coming from the hills to walk all the way down, you know, to be early enough because somebody in the hood gave you tickets. So there's a mix of good and bad, but this was what the 80s was, and it was life in front of you. It wasn't life to be lived through a screen. It, was, it wasn't life to be lived for, for clout that extended past your block. You was trying to be that dude on the block. And, you know, my mom did draw like a lot of attention from these guys. And I, I did have my hand full of like experiences and and things that I witnessed, whatever. But in all of that, my eyes have been open and I've been seeing things so vividly because I was outside longer than people was. A lot of other kids are probably coming out later and coming in sooner. So I got to be around a lot. I got to see a lot. I got to observe a lot. I was paying so close attention to everything that happened down to the aesthetic of cars. And so when I think back and when people ask me about like a time, my reference point often is music, clothing. I can narrow down certain years really good. I have, I have such, and I think because of like my type of storytelling and the way I tell these stories and, and stuff like that, it's easier for me to tell these stories and um and paint it the way I do. And I, and I kind of like, I'm not thanking trauma obviously, but I think it's just vivid because I live vividly. Anyway, I like, I'll I definitely take a puff to that. So let me take a puff pause, man, yo, I might make it sound fun and stuff, but it's not easy to come onto a platform for anybody to come and just open up and be transparent. So I'm going to tell you guys that I really like value my time doing this. A big part of it is therapeutic. I'm not one to like, I could have been done this a long time ago. As you can see, I've been rolling film from the 90s you know what i mean and i i've inherited footage of my father from the 80s you know things for a long time and i never really pushed anything crazy but all to say is like i'm enjoying my time sharing with y'all i think It's important to get a little deeper on these subjects. It's one thing to be very two-dimensional and just say, we had this, we had that. I could leave all that stuff for TikTok, but here on this platform, let's connect. I'm sure that we all got a story. My Bronx story, Origins, started in Brooklyn, as we discussed in this episode, and we made our way into the Bronx, and there was a lesson learned. And through my young eyes, looking at that, a lot of my fatherhood, a lot of who I've become as a man, has been dictated by the person that witnessed what he witnessed at that young age. I knew to myself the implications of being a single mother because I lived that. I was on a traumatic end of it, but because I experienced it the way I did, I can't just leave somebody out there like that. Like it's easy for a woman to have kids and eventually find themselves on their own with their kids because the dude could just like, you know, be off. And so sometimes you have these tough lessons that like, if you use them the right way, you know, you can definitely apply them to your life so that it could be a plus or you make a negative into a plus. And so like there's a lot of lessons that I learned from those. Like I told myself I wasn't going to be in a place of having to be like in poverty. You know, I was such a dirty kid and I wasn't checked on my hygiene. I wasn't like looked over, which I should have at the time so that I can develop good habits. But I was a dirty ass kid. And I'm not o c d with it, but like the way I am with with being extra hard on the scrub and all that and and cleaning and making sure that like you know that i'm you know I'm clean like it's real important to me, and it sucks that it has to be because of like the amount of trauma that I experience like something as little as taking a normal bath, you know what I mean or or not wanting to put your sweaty body on like I know like that's just like normal for some people, but like a lot of it links my thoughts to the trauma, and these things could be triggering like yo. Because of like the level of poverty we had during winter storms, having like footwear that's inadequate for the weather, and having to have that that feeling of having your um your socks just drenched and cold for the bulk of the day, like that might be something that like somebody be like, oh yeah, like that don't stand out for them, but like for me, well being like in the way we had it, like those are triggering like. Yo, at the time when I was like dealing with all that stolen clothes and everything, like I was talking about like the jooks and all the stuff we was doing and all that North Face spider, all that Gore Tex, all that weatherproof, winterproof, waterproof stuff. Yo, a lot of that is like, yo, I, I'm not going to fill another wet sock. Like, yo, wet socks is a trigger for me. I can have my feet wet. Wet socks for me is a trigger I carry to this day. It's crazy the trauma, how important that is, how, how prominent it could be. But these experiences that I carry with me, and I've learned a lot, and it's hard to kind of give credit to them, and I don't, but I got to acknowledge them, and I got to acknowledge what I turned those things out to. And each of us got a story, especially us from the Bronx, but like your Bronx story has its origins from somewhere, and mine started where I'm telling you, and mine started in a way that a lot of people had it. And so at a certain time, if we were to just zoom into the 80s, that experience, the latchkey kid. The kid that was kind of just outside at such a time of drugs. Crack vials in between the cracks of the cement. Crack vials washing along with the rain in the current, passing along the whole block. Red top, blue top, green top, signifying which block that crack traveled from. The random shootouts with MAC-10s that don't spray good, being notorious for shooting and not being accurate with the shot. These is the times. You know what I mean? Like, art imitating life and life imitating art. Like, who's trying to be who? Is the rapper trying to be the drug dealer or is the drug dealer trying to be the rapper? Back in those days, right? Back in that time, in the 80s we talking, the rapper wanted to look like the hustler. You understand? So, like, so there was a lot of that, that flashiness, the big jewelry, the chunky jewels. You knew who was that dude in the hood. And there was tons of stories. Like, I know being that young in the hood, I didn't need to know. Who just got killed at a house party? Who just got shot up a couple blocks down? You know, we I I was home to Larry Davis. We was around Hammerman and Highbridge. Going up Highbridge, like this is this is stop one for us. I I give a lot of love to Kingsbridge. I give a lot of love to all types of areas in the Bronx. I don't give a lot of love to the Soundview area because them peas used to have us on Smash. Like anytime there was a baby shower or something and we had to have the copias and go outside for a beer. They'll always try to push you. So anytime I heard community room, baby shower, you know, and pull up. If I didn't have cab money, I was not trooping it over there. But nonetheless, I mean, it's love. I'm just joking, Peter Guns and all that. But you know, like all of the Bronx, but like yo, my origins, like we we parked up straight up on a high bridge during the time of the Hammerman. The Hammer, yo, they were shutting our schools down because there was where Hammerman, Hammerman was going around hitting dudes on the head with a hammer at these times and they'll close the schools and we'll hear the overhead helicopters. They won't dismiss us. Little alerts like that in the areas. That was crazy. We had Larry Davis. I went to school with some of the cousins and stuff. But, you know, the 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 area and the times that we grew up in on, on High Bridge, like, yo, they got it popping at that time. Latin Kings, Nietas, The gangs was really heavy in that time, too. And I have friends, like my friends, like the little kids, they were like second generation kings. Like their parents were like originals and stuff or you know they, they were locked up for a while so that was the that was the Bronx we went into uh after hours spots you know mom not being home us watching the daylight come and and have no idea where where my parent is you understand it was it was a very tough time but you you see how one pivotal moment you hustle and your whole life changes completely and the people around you and the, and the lesson and the message here, if I was to have one for anybody, like, yo, I tell these stories, like, I be on TikTok telling these stories, like, yo, one time I did this, one time I had this amount of coke and I made it right and stuff. And yo, I say it here, like, it's never to glorify that because I saw what it did to my family. I watched the pain of my mom being rejected Told uh, 30 days later after a job being told, like, nah, we found your record and having to leave. And then her going up and just, you know, ballooning it up. Because you got to keep it moving. You got two boys and, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You understand? Like, it's crazy because people glorify it. People be hype about it. But it's like, yo, as much as you can, avoid it at all costs. My family, like, one day, for what? Whatever what it was, a snitch. My father was lacking. You know what I mean? He made one false move. For whatever it was, life changed that one day in Brooklyn, in Flatbush, in our apartment, where they came and they tore our door down and they escorted us two kids out that apartment, and they took both my parents and locked them up. And my mom came out sooner, and my father just did his time. And my mom on my Puerto Rican side of the family, and I had to deal with some racism because that's my Dominican side, and I had to deal with my mom and her ways, and learning for the first time the monster that I didn't see because the monster was tamed. You understand? So my experiences now for the first time in front of my face. This is the Bronx. It wasn't always peaches and cream. I love the Bronx and I salute and I celebrate the Bronx. But some of this story comes with pain. Some of my Bronx story is just traumatic. Some of my Bronx story is just familiar. There's just somebody out there that got that experience too. Possibly worse. But there's a power in talking about it. There's a power in bringing it up. My therapy is the fact that I could talk to you about it and see how I was able to take all that, throw it in the pot, mix it in, and cook something up. And that's life, that's why I appreciate the little things. That's why, this is why I say, yo, the reason I can appreciate what I got right now is because little version of me, young me, that watched all that in Highbridge, getting evicted, watching my mom do things with, with landlords so that they could kind of extend the time that we can stay in an apartment until we gotta do the boogie and go to another one. That entire experience, you know what I mean? Watching that, it was crazy. But like, what I tell myself is like, I lived that experience I get to share that experience. It makes me who I am in a sense that I'm prepared for life and I could talk about it. And the way I talk about it is freeing for me because the result of my decisions, right? I didn't succumb to it and I'm trying to be an overcomer. Little version of me will look at everything I got right now like, oh, he got this here. He got that there. Oh, this is his room. Like everything. Little me will be... Like, if, if I was to be able to take what I have now, the good and the bad, and say, yo, look, you got this, but you got that. This is good. This is what it is. Everything that, that is my reality now with the trauma I have, so that's why I appreciate what I got today because it was so tough and so almost impossible that I got what I got now. And if I keep looking at tomorrow and looking for something better, I don't get to appreciate today. So I always give myself a pause, and I tell myself, yo, stop. Today take your time. Appreciate the now. The present is fleeting. Your present is, it comes and as soon as you notice it came, it's gone. It's the past now. So you enjoy, you take it in, you take a deep breath and you let your moment not be rushed, not be in a haste and take your time with it. And that's what allows me to do that. So this platform is definitely dope. So guys, thank you for rocking with me on another episode. This is your boy Kingsbridge Rich with another episode of My Bronx Story. Tune in next time and every Monday, every week for some new fire. Catch me on my socials. Catch the link tree, IG, TikTok, Kingsbridge Rich on the IG, My Bronx Story on the IG. Catch the YouTube. Catch me out there. How about that? Anyway, peace, my boys. And um, you guys be good. Peace.